This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. For our scripture reading this morning, we turn to two places in God's Word. First, in Matthew chapter 16, and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Matthew chapter 16, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Matthew 16, we find the familiar passage upon which the Lord's Day, Lord's Day 31, is based regarding the keys of the kingdom. Matthew 16, and we read this morning from verse 13 through 20. 13 through 20 of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto, I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples, that they should tell no man that he was Jesus, the Christ. <coughs> and now we turn to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter two. So Matthew chapter sixteen spoke about the keys of the kingdom in general, and here in Second Corinthians two, verses. 14 through 17, verses 14 through 17, we read about the key of preaching. The key of preaching. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the Savior of death unto death, and to the other the Savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, In the sight of God speak we 
in Christ. We read that far in God's Word. We now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 31. Lord's Day 31, we find the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism based on the Scripture passages we read as well as on many other parts of the Holy Word, inspired Word of God. Regarding the keys of the kingdom, Lord's Day 31 follows upon Lord's Day 30. Lord's Day 30, I remind you, was about the sacraments, particularly about the Lord's Supper and the duty of the church to guard the table of that supper, to exclude even such persons as question and answer 82 ends by the keys of the kingdom till they show amendment of life. Here in Lord's Day 31 then, the Catechism follows up with the question, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline or excommunication out of the Christian church. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and shut against unbelievers. How? How is the kingdom of heaven open and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? Thus, when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of, of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent, that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation so long as they are unconverted, according to which testimony of the gospel, God will judge them both in this and in the life to come. And we stop there in Lord's Day 31, leaving Lord or question and answer 85 regarding church discipline for next time, Lord willing. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14-17 is a text dear to me as a minister of the Gospel. As I said, it describes the preaching of the Gospel, one of the keys of the Kingdom. And Paul begins in verse 14 about the preaching this way, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph, and maketh manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. With that verse and the following verses, the Apostle Paul is describing the preaching and the effects of the preaching which God brings with the preaching. And he does so by using an illustration. So we begin with that illustration this morning. Paul draws an illustration from Roman culture and warfare. Here is the picture from warfare or Roman culture, after a successful battle, a victorious captain or the king who went out to battle with his generals and soldiers, now come through the cities of his country in what is called a triumphal procession. A triumphal procession is what we find here in verses 14 through 17. That's why you find the word triumph in that's verse 14. Thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph. In this 
triumphal procession, children, which is like a, a parade of today, the king or the captain of the army leads his soldiers through city after city to declare to everyone his victory. He has gained victory over the enemies. And as proof of his victory or of his triumph, in his procession behind him and his soldiers, there are probably carts full of treasures, what is called the the booty of the enemy. And along with those treasures, there are captives, those who have been captured from enemy territory and now are made the servant servants of the king. Men, women, children are captive in his trade. Some of them to be executed, and others to be made part of the kingdom that had gained victory. Another important detail about this scene of a triumphal procession that Paul actually focuses on is the smell. The smell. It's a unique illustration here. That's what the word savor means here in verses 14 through 17. The word savor means smell or aroma or scent. Because in this triumphal procession, often there were flowers. Flowers that maybe were hung around the necks of the victors in garlands. Flowers that were carried and flowers maybe that were even thrown or strewn through the streets of the city as the procession went through. And along with those flowers, there came smells. Besides the flowers, there was incense. The burning of incense, maybe on sticks, but probably in pots, where incense was carried in pots, and there were, it was burned in a sweet-smelling smoke. Fragrance spread everywhere. So that as that triumphal procession went from city to city, It was not only spoken to everyone that the king had been victorious. It was not only seen by everyone that the king had been victorious, but it was even smelled by everyone that there had been victory. That's the picture that Paul brings up in this text. And here is the meaning. Paul means that he is part of this triumphal procession. along with the other members of the church. And he may be speaking of himself as one of the soldiers who had gained victory, but I think that Paul means here rather that he is one of the servants, the the captives that are made captive in the train of the king. A willing servant. One who wants to serve this Newly triumphant king. Psalm 68 verse 18 goes with that. Thou hast ascended on high. Speaking of King Jesus. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. And as Paul along with other ministers of the gospel. Now are part of this procession. They are so captivated by this king. That they are joining in. With a spreading of the good news. From city to city of His victory. That's what the Gospel is. The good news of Christ's victory. And it's not only spoken and seen, but here the text focuses on the smell. The smell. 
The preaching of the gospel is like the smell, the aroma, the scent that was smelled by the people of the cities around. And to some, Paul says, that gospel of Christ's triumph smells of life. It is a savor or a smell of life unto life, he says, because Christ is life. And when that gospel is spread to God's people, they breathe in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when they receive Christ by faith, they also know that they're going, they're on the way unto life. It's life unto life. A smell of life unto life. That's what Christ is to them in the gospel. But to others, as that triumphal procession goes through the city, the gospel, the same gospel, the same smell to others smells of death. For children, we might put it today, it, people who smell it say, that stinks. That stinks. We don't want that. Death unto death. That's what it smells like to others. Indeed, the Gospel even says to those who do not believe, death. Death to you. You are dead in trespasses and sins. And you're on the way unto eternal death. The smell of death unto death. That is the twofold effect of the preaching illustrated as a smell. A savor of life unto life or a savor, a smell of death unto death. And here's the confidence of the preacher. Thanks be to God, we always triumph. That's how Paul begins. Whether we are a savor of life unto life or of death unto death, with the preaching, thanks be to God. Because we always triumph and we are a sweet smell to God in Jesus Christ. With that text in mind, we approach Lord's Day 31 about the keys of the kingdom. As you know, one of the keys of the kingdom is the preaching of the gospel. And God has chosen the keys of the kingdom and the key preaching in particular, both for the softening of hearts and the hardening of hearts. Two effects, which can be illustrated by a smell of life into life and death into, death into death, or it can be illustrated by the key turning to open heaven. Or the key turning to shut and lock heaven. That's what the Gospel shows. Consider with me the doctrine of the keys of the kingdom under the theme, the keys of the kingdom, in particular the preaching. First, the keys of the kingdom. Second, the key of preaching. And then finally, the command of Jesus Christ. In the church of Jesus Christ, that is the church institute like this one, Jesus wields keys. The keys of the kingdom, as Matthew 16 speaks of them. Before we delve into the first key in particular this morning, let's understand, generally speaking, the keys of the kingdom and the kingdom of Jesus Christ itself. The concept of the kingdom should bring to our mind a, a, another picture, a picture that's actually related to the one we already considered this morning. 
When you think of the word kingdom, what comes to mind, properly so, is a picture of a city. A city on a hill like Jerusalem with walls and with gates. And we've thought about that city frequently in our past series of sermons through the book of Nehemiah. So that comes to mind easily. The kingdom is, of course, more than a city. The kingdom is more than a location. But it is properly illustrated by a city with walls and with gates. And it's that place where the king rules. He rules over that city and especially over the citizens, the people who are members of that city. And so go back to that first illustration of the triumphal procession and think of the king or the captain of the army, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now He leads a procession, His people with ministers and and with others of His church and And the king goes. He marches through city after city, but his destination is his city. The city. A picture of the kingdom of heaven. And he enters there. And the rest in his procession will follow to enter into that same city But not everyone is allowed to enter there. The king wields a key. A key that opens the city to his people. His citizens. Those whom he has made his citizens. But negatively, the king also shuts the gate of the city locks it, as it were, with a key and bars the way from others who are not citizens of His kingdom, though they may sometimes outwardly act like such. That's the picture. And the spiritual reality is, the most important part of the spiritual reality is that the King is King Jesus. He is the King of the kingdom. In Matthew 16, verse 19 that we read, We have these words in verse 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But before you focus in upon the keys, think about the kingdom of heaven. And don't forget then who is speaking. It's Jesus who is speaking as the king. And the most most important part of the kingdom is, is the king. King Jesus himself. He is the owner of the kingdom. He is the owner of the citizens of the kingdom. He is the owner of the key. The keys of the kingdom. He wields those keys. He lets in and He shuts out. Never forget that. King Jesus is the King. And when He says then that He will give those keys of the kingdom to others, He does not mean, He does not mean that He is going to give up those keys. It does not mean that He's going to give those keys over to some men in the church and, and then they take over. And, and they get to wield them while He forfeits the wielding of them. No, no. He always wields those keys. He owns them. He rules them. He remains King. Those keys belong to Him. This King of the kingdom has defeated His foe. Think about that triumphal procession. 
He has gained the victory. And you know how He has gained the victory. That's the Gospel. He has condescended to us as people first. He has gained the victory by giving His life for us. No, no one could take it from Him. This King was so powerful that He laid down His very life for His elect people and for them alone. That superscription that was above the head of Jesus Christ as He was hanging on that accursed cross when He gave Himself up for us, that superscription was accurate, though it was made in mockery. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, that King came to give up Himself to die that accursed death, to be forsaken of God, that He might gain victory. So that while all the world stood around that cross and gazed upon Jesus as though He was another malefactor, gazed upon Jesus as though He was being defeated, the reality was, by those who have faith, you see there on the cross Him gaining the victory over sin over death, over Satan. The King came and conquered our enemies by His death. And then, and then, as we have just considered in the last week, He rose again to prove His conquering work, to show His victory, His triumph. He rose again and He ascended on high and sits at God's right hand. He has like that captain or king in that triumphal procession, gone in to the kingdom of heaven, entered the gates. The gates were thrown open wide unto him as he entered there at ascension. And from there, he rules his people that they might be his procession to be brought into that heavenly kingdom. To join him there one day. Most importantly, He rules by His grace. He rules by His Spirit in the hearts of His people so that they're converted. So that invisibly within the hearts of His people, they turn to Christ the King. And invisibly, they join this procession on the way to heaven. They want to serve Him and they follow Him. And they look forward to that gate of heaven that will be opened unto them. The gate of the city not made with hands, whose builder and maker is God. To some, they know those city gates are open. But to others, Christ makes sure that His kingdom gates are shut and locked. Christ rules invisibly in the hearts of the people to know this, to see this, 
But what He does invisibly in the hearts of His people, He shows visibly in the church, like this church. The opening of those gates to some, and the shutting, the closing, the locking of those gates to others, He makes visible in a visible church of Jesus Christ like this one. Christ has chosen to display that in a church like hope. For the church represents His kingdom. The members of a true church of Jesus Christ who are brought into the church and and remain as members of the church are those, display those, represent those who are on the way in that procession into the same kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the gate is open to them. And those members who are put out, those members who are told, you're out, out of the church, or they leave impenitent in sin. There is a showing, a display of Christ invisibly closing the kingdom of heaven to them as well. That's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 16, 18 and 19. The king says to Peter, and not only to Peter, an important point, but to the apostles, the other apostles along with Peter, as they taught the gospel. I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Christ is not talking about Peter personally here. He's talking about Peter as he spoke along with all the other apostles. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those apostles that would be sent out by Jesus Christ to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, wants to preach the truth. He's not teaching what the Roman Catholic Church invent regarding the Pope, that the Pope is a successor of Peter, personally, or rather to the apostles of the church who preach the truth. Later on in Ephesians 2, verse 20, Jesus describes the church this way, who are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. So what He says to Peter here applies not only to the other leaders, the apostles, but to the church church especially of the New Testament upon which which is built upon Peter and the apostles and their truth their doctrine which they had taught Christ rules over such a church and to that church with her leaders he gives the keys he describes the keys 
locking and opening. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, meaning whatever you shut, bar, whoever you shut and bar, lock out, close. Those are the same ones that I bar, shut and close from the kingdom of heaven. When the church that is founded upon the truth of the apostles and prophets declares to someone not forgiven outside the kingdom, Jesus says, that's what I say regarding the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. They're barred. And loosed, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It refers to being free. Free from sin, forgiven, the kingdom open, you have access. And the church says that, you have access into the church. You're forgiven, you're a member in good standing. And Jesus says, when the church, founded upon the truth of the apostles and prophets, declares that, that's what I say also regarding the kingdom of heaven. Don't misunderstand. The church never forces Jesus' hand. King still wields his key. Never lets go. He can even do that which a false church says he doesn't do. He can maintain the salvation of those a false church erroneously removes. But when a true church of Jesus Christ upon the basis of God's Word, even though weak men may be in the church and rule in the church, when the true church of Jesus Christ rules with the Word and declares one out, Jesus says, that displays what is invisible but true. I declare Him out. And when the true church says, in, access, forgiven, I too declare Him in. And today we focus upon the preaching. When we think about the keys of the kingdom, we almost immediately sometimes think about church discipline and excommunication or restoration from church discipline. But what is first mentioned by the catechism regarding the keys of the kingdom is first the preaching of the gospel. The first key which shows, which represents Jesus Christ Himself saying you may come in or you are shut out is the key of preaching. Very briefly, three points to describe that preaching because there is a lot of confusion in this world about what preaching is. First, preaching is that which is by one officially sent, one officially sent by the church. When the catechism speaks of preaching, it is not referring to the people of God in general in their office of believer, bringing forth personal witnessing or personal evangelism. That is an important aspect of the church. That is a duty of God's people in general to echo forth that which they have heard in the Word. But when the catechism speaks of preaching here, it is referring to the official preaching by one sent by Jesus Christ 
through the church. That's Romans 10.15, as you know, how shall they preach except they be sent? Christ invisibly works, first of all, in the heart of a man to convict him that he must preach the Gospel. Pray some of you men have Christ working in your heart invisibly already now. And then He makes visible that which He has already worked in the heart of a man that He has called. He uses the church, the visible church, to recognize the qualifications of a man, to train that man, and especially to call or send that man to preach the Gospel. And we say then, Christ sends him. Not only because He feels an internal call, but because Christ has used a true church to send Him. That first, preaching is by one who's been sent by Christ. Second, preaching is based upon the Word of God. Based upon the Word of God. Preaching is not the telling of stories that might seem to connect to the Word of God. Preaching is not giving really moving illustrations that make people tear up. The preaching is not telling jokes that make people entertain. The preaching is not giving even edifying, even if they're edifying, testimonials. Preaching is, as we considered recently in Nehemiah, dividing the Bible, explaining the text, and applying it. Taking the Scriptures and expositing them for God's people so they understand. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 2, Paul speaks of such which did not preach the Word of God. He says this, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. Many in Paul's day did this. Many of today do this as well. When Paul says they're corrupt, he literally is saying Peddle. Peddle or sell the Word of God. Meaning this, that they don't actually bring the Word of God, but they sell it as such. They make it sound as such. And then people buy it. They buy it as the Word of God. Even though it is watered down, twisted, is not the Scriptures. Preaching is the Word of God. And God's people can read the Scriptures themselves and see, comparing Scripture with Scripture, whether what is preached is based upon the Word of God. Preaching is by one sent officially. Preaching is based on the inspired Word of God. And third, preaching is of the Gospel is of the Gospel, literally the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified at its center. Yes, preaching will be an explanation of the Scriptures, text, but also in the explanation of the text, while there is faithfulness to the text, always Scripture must proclaim, or preaching must proclaim, Christ, Christ Jesus alone. Christ Jesus alone. Him crucified is your righteousness for your salvation. He alone gives 
salvation freely. He alone brings salvation, the forgiveness of sins, justification, sanctification, glorification, all from Jesus Christ. He alone has earned that salvation. He alone is the one that applies that salvation by joining us to Himself by faith and working that salvation in us. Christ, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, must always be in the preaching. This preaching, based on Scripture by one sent, and with the Gospel of Christ and Him crucified, it is a key. It is a key. Here comes the crucial question, how? How is it a key? That's what the Catechism asks. How, in other words, does Christ use the preaching as a key to visibly manifest to people that the kingdom is either open to them or shut to them? We must think about this carefully because there has been much misunderstanding in church history. There has been much misunderstanding, especially as associated regarding the errors of repentance and faith. Much confusion about how, how the preaching of the Gospel works as a key. Against such errors around, I preach to you what is creedal, what is biblical regarding the preaching as a key. Christ actually uses it to show the opening and the closing of the kingdom. And to think about that, I ask you to think about three aspects of the preaching in particular. Three aspects of the preaching of the Gospel in particular. Now in the preaching, when you hear my preaching, when you hear someone else's preaching based on the Word of God, you're not necessarily going to hear every each of these distinctly or in this order, but there are going to be three in the preaching regularly. Three aspects of the preaching. There is the Gospel declaration. There is the Gospel call. And there is a Gospel promise. You can distinguish the Gospel declaration or explanation. You can distinguish the Gospel call. And you can distinguish the Gospel promise. The Catechism refers to that declaration. It emphasizes that when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer. Notice, I stop there and have you jump down in the catechism to when it speaks of the unbeliever. It says the same thing of the unbeliever to the unbeliever too. There is a declaration and a testifying. It is declared and testified to all unbelievers. The gospel is explained. That is, the Gospel about Jesus Christ is proclaimed to all. Even this, everyone head for head that God sovereignly brings under the preaching. Elect and reprobate also. The Gospel is declared to them all. 
promiscuously, the canons put it. It must be to everyone, as much as possible, the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, of whom I am chief, suffered and died for elect sinners, to take upon Himself the wrath they deserve, and risen again to prove it, prove His victory over sin and death and Satan. Along with that gospel declaration, there is a gospel call. And this too, this too comes promiscuously, that is, to all who God brings under the preaching. Elect and reprobate, I call. I call to repent and believe. Not to do good works to be saved. To repent and believe. Trusting not in your works. And trusting not in your repenting and believing either. But you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin. That's the call of the Gospel. You turn from your sin and you lean wholly upon Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply and only to the cross I cling. You must believe. And Jesus Christ speaks through that. The Arminian error, in distinction from this proper call of the Gospel, is the Walmart offer, as you know. That Jesus Christ wants to save everyone who hears. He loves everyone even. He can't actually save them until they make a choice. That's false. It's false. The call of the Gospel does not say God desires every single one to believe, to be saved. On the other hand, the other ditch again is hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinism withholds the call neglects the call, omits the call to believe and repent. It's based on different false notions, all of which is a twisting of Calvinistic doctrines. Some hyper-Calvinists base it on the false notion that we may only preach to the elect the call of the Gospel. It's not true. The call of the Gospel comes to elect and reprobate. You must believe. Based on a false notion that faith is not an activity and repenting is not necessary. So there's no really, real need to call, repent, and believe. Based on a false notion of total depravity, since we're told and depraved, we can't believe. Thus, it shouldn't come forth. No. The call of the Gospel, as you hear it everywhere in the Bible, repent and believe to all dead Lazaruses, to all dry bones in the valley, to the most wicked hypocrite in the church who will never believe. You must believe. You're called to believe. That call comes. And it comes externally, first of all, so that the ears physically hear and even the brain picks it up. And then Jesus takes that call and works it only in the hearts of His elect people irresistibly, so that His sheep hear His voice and they do repent and they do believe because He works in, in them both the will and the act of believing also. And then comes that third aspect of the preaching. To all who repent and believe. 
about His work irresistibly in them. The gate of heaven is open. You're forgiven of your sins. Of all your sins. Washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Cover. Past, present, and future. All because or for the sake, as the catechism says, of Christ's merits. And God's people know. That's not merely what the man says in the preaching. It's what Jesus Christ says to them, to his sheep who repent and believe. But the key turns the other way. Because along with that promise, and here's a test as to whether a real call of the gospel comes. Along with that promise to His people and to His people only comes a warning and a threat to those who willfully who willfully cling to their sin rather than cling to Jesus Christ. Along with the gospel or the good news, there's the bad news. The kingdom is shut to those who do not repent and believe. I'm not afraid of that, beloved. If you're willfully continuing, willfully continuing in sin today, even if others and the elders don't know about it yet, I preach to you what the catechism and what Scripture says, that the kingdom of heaven is shut to you as long as you remain unconverted. I do not declare to you forgiveness. While it is yet today, harden not your hearts. For then you shall not enter into His rest. The preaching comes as a key. Declaring Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Calling to repentance and faith. Promising to believers, free salvation, warning, threatening those who are impenitent of death, hell. I point out something about an error before I move to the third point, the last point, the folly of the hyper-Calvinistic error. Hyper-Calvinistic error, remember, says you don't need to repent and believe. And you may experience forgiveness. The minister should declare that you're forgiven. Repentance and faith do not have to come before. There's no order. That's not preaching as prescribed in Lord's Day 31. And here's the folly, the irony of it. Practically speaking, it's the same thing as the Arminian well-meant offer. Because if there's no necessity to repent and believe before I declare to you forgiveness of sins, 
And the preacher must declare to every single person who is sitting in the pew that they're saved. God loves them. He wants them. He forgives them. As long, of course, as long as you're a member of the church, a particular pure one, it becomes the same thing as an Arminian universal salvation. The necessity of repentance and faith is seen. You must repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone. And only you who repent and believe is the kingdom of heaven open. And are you forgiven of your sins? The key of preaching, the key of preaching as described in Lord's Day 31 must be wielded. The church needs it. Christ commands it. And that's how Question and answer 84 begins, or answer 84 begins according to the command of Christ. You must use this key, this specific key, this key as it is described here. The preacher has a responsibility to preach the gospel and to preach it in this manner. The elders have the responsibility to oversee this preaching, make sure it comes in this manner. The members of the church must make sure that the elders and the pastor bring forth this preaching and hold them accountable. Preach. The command comes to the whole church. Preach the Word. 1 Timothy 4, 2 and 3. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come. When I say the time is at hand, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This kind of preaching is God's means, Christ's means to strengthen the faith of His elect people, to really turn His people in true repentance from sin to Jesus Christ. God's people need it. It doesn't always feel nice. This kind of preaching will hit us between the eyes, especially if we are continuing in a particular sin. It will confront us with it. And if we're continuing in sin, it will threaten us with hell. But it will be comfort to God's people to see their sin and turn to Jesus Christ in sorrow for sin. With this kind of preaching, the church can become very small on this earth. With this kind of preaching... There are people who will be hardened. With this kind of preaching, since it is a key, there will be those who will leave and vacate their spot in the pew. Because what is invisible regarding the kingdom Thank of heaven, you for listening to this message. Makes it is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. Too. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day sermons on but even Wednesdays, if it hurts, and topical podcasts even on Fridays. Numbers dwindle. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org.
and you can email us with any questions or feedback what at hoperwc at gmail.com. It's kind Thank of preaching you. we're called to have. And hear this. This preaching is a mark of a true church. And thus we preach this gospel, and I end with this as I close. And I end with this as I began. No matter what we can say with Paul, thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, maketh manifest the savor or the smell of the knowledge by us in every place. In this place too. Even if the gospel smells of death unto death to some, life unto life to others, we can conclude it's a sweet savor of Christ unto God. Amen. Let's pray. God of mercy, God of justice, Make us faithful, O oh God. Make us faithful. We're so prone to unfaithfulness. Forgive us. Use thy word as it is preached, the word of the gospel, to turn us, thy people, in true repentance and faith, to strengthen that faith, and use that word also as thou hast ordained to harden to show the closing of the kingdom as a savior of death unto death. O God, who is sufficient for these things? No one. And yet we seek to obey Thee as Thou hast commanded. With respect to the key of preaching, in particular we pray, hallowed be Thy name with that preaching. Thy kingdom come with that preaching, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.